The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Jack White on the guitar ship Fender Prize. Yes, Mr. Mick. <laughs> Seems we have some Klingons out the port bell. You might want to attend to those Klingons. Meg, what have I told you? What have I told Captain, you? Captain, Captain, the Klingons are firing at the ship. Fire at them like a caveman! Okay, I'll just fire at them. Where's an engineer when you need one? Swank! Well, Captain, this is Ben Swank. <laughs> and, um, Captain, yes. I gotta tell you, this, this bit is really... Sagging our thrusters. <laughs> it's really, Captain. This bit is really grinding us to a halt. We gotta stop now, Captain. We can't keep going. We can, we do not have it in us. Captain, I think I see Romulans now off the port bow too. And they, I think they might be partying with the Klingons. That's blind Romulan McTell. Captain, I think the Black Keys are off the port bow. <laughs> fire, Mick! Fire! <laughs> More gold. Hi! Hello! We are... The... Wait, I'm James Kaminsky, your co-host... Of the Third Men Podcast, and I am Paul Kaminsky, your other co-host, and we host the Jack White History Podcast, where we go through all things Jack White, and sometimes make funny skits that some people on the internet find annoying, and this is the first one about Star Trek, so that's really going to grind some gears out there, but we are the bad boys of podcasting, so this is very consistent with our MO, James. Yes. Climb aboard our Millennium Fulcrum. And <laughs> Fulcrum. Millennium Fulcrum. <laughs> and journey with us. Won't you please? Yeah. So this, if you haven't guessed, is a is a Jack White history podcast, and we we go over all sorts of Jack White history and things. And uh, today we're talking about a very special topic. I think it's special to both me and you, Paul. It's uh, it's space. Yes, we're just talking I am, about. Space. I can't wait. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this one. There's a lot of weird Jack White history associated with space, James. It's a smattering. It's a smattering of space, Paul. Um, I mean, I suppose you could make the argument everything Jack White does has to do with space because we're all floating around in space right now. It's very true. Um, I suppose Yeah, I suppose you could just go ahead and say that. We could really just turn the uh, turn this to the abstract. This this whole episode is all of Jack White's history. Every every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> this whole podcast, the space one. So we have we have a whole slew of stuff to talk about today, including some interesting Jack White releases, including some interesting Jack White 
space shuttles, the Jack White space program. Yeah, he launched things into space. That happened. He launched things at space. But before we get to all that, James. Yes, Paul. Is there something we should stop doing? There's something we really should stop doing, and that's breaking down. We should also stop these bad William Shatner impressions. <laughs> yes, we should. Yes, it's all been bad. Stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. Do you want to tell these fine folks out there what a stop breaking down is? Yeah, so sometimes uh, we get many things wrong in a podcast, and we always appreciate it when our listeners tell us what we got wrong, and we will give that listener a shout-out, and we will correct it in this segment that we call Stop Breaking Down. That's right. Because it only works, this podcast only works if we're all working together. Because, you see, part of our mission statement for this fine broadcast over the internet is for us to learn more about the White Stripes and Jack White history and all that good stuff. And so it does no good if we're doing this in a vacuum. And it also does no good if people don't tell us when we're wrong and be specific about it. Because we really could benefit from that kind of help. We're looking to you, the fab listener, if you do catch something wrong, to help us out. And we are only claiming to be enthusiastic fans of Jack White and enthusiasts to the point of being quite knowledgeable up to this point. But that does not mean we are infallible and we get things wrong. All right, Paul. But So we have a, we have a few stop breaking downs. Okay. Our first one is actually sort of stop breaking down sort of i smell a fact which is another thing that we have it's actually in reference to episode 36 where we talk about the go i had mentioned that jack white left the group to pursue the white stripes the group being the go i was partially right partially wrong he didn't just leave paul jack white was actually fired dun 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 <laughs> so yeah jack white was moving towards the White Stripes. He was becoming more and more focused on this group, and so much so that it was actually becoming an impediment to the go. So they had a talk, and they decided that they were going to let him go. Hey. Here's a quote from uh, John Krautner. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the worst feeling ever. Bobby and I, Bobby Harlow, and I had talked and talked, and we knew we had to ask Jack to leave. There was too much tension, and it was extremely hard, because why would you let a guy go just when your band is really happening? But we knew that we could not function creatively with Jack having all these frustrations, and it was just like something out of The Godfather. We told him to meet us at a restaurant on Cass Avenue, <laughs> and we sat at this table, and I had this pit in my stomach, and he didn't make it any easier on us because he acted like he didn't see it coming. Maybe he didn't. The thing I remember most is the innocent look on Jack's face. What did I do wrong? I don't understand. The kind of vibe as if he was caught unknowingly, like a little kid who did something bad but he didn't know it was bad. And he had this baby face. It was pretty difficult. And actually, as a person, Jack was cool to hang out with. We all had similar interests. We laughed at the same jokes. That was probably the hardest part. Oh man, our new friend Jack. Wow. We've got to kick him out. It sucked. Wow. Now, it... It not only goes there, apparently they had to tell Dave Buick 
about the firing, and this was part of the drama why, uh, of why Dave Buick actually left the band as well. Uh, John Krautner continues, We told Dave Buick we were going to do this, and he didn't really want to be a part of it. But we went to see him, and Jack was waiting at his house. Even more of a Godfather moment. So we went in, and it was just so tense. We're all there, having to think about what happened. And Jack gets up and leaves. And then Dave quit. Because we fired his friend. Wow. We let Jack go, and then our bass player quit that same night. It was terrible. The local papers made us seem like assholes, and we felt like assholes. It's become a joke to people in my world because of his success. Wait a minute, did you just say (laughs) you fired Jack White from your band? It was tough, and it put us back several steps, but it was absolutely necessary. That is amazing. Thank you for elaborating on that, James. That's crazy. Yeah. I was a little wrong, but I'm glad I, I did some research. Thank you to Kelly Durga, who pointed out that he was fired, or at least he, he had talked in uh, previous interviews about it being fired. They did put it all behind them later on, as we talked about later in that episode. They did tour together yeah, they, for a bit. Yeah, they opened for him, yeah, right? And, and obviously, Jack White's record company released 2016 a uh, vault, including the Go. So there's there's not any more hostility, at least on the surface. Yeah. And they, they seem to be good friends now. Well, that's good, James. And you know what? This episode, we've got another stop breaking down here. We're just going to do a twofer. This one comes from Yvette Wilkins. Thank you, Yvette. This is in relation to the Broken Boy Soldiers episodes 34 and 35 of the podcast where we talked about the Greenhorns. And I, when, I, when I discussed that, I was referring to the Greenhorns a lot in, in the context of Detroit. And it made it sound like they were a Detroit band. They actually originated in Cincinnati. And so, uh, you know, it's not really fair to lump them in with the Detroit groups, even though Jack and company sort of met the Greenhorns in in Detroit, but it, you know they they didn't originate there. They originated in Cincinnati. So uh, that's a that's a correction there. And thank you to Yvette Wilkins for pointing that out to us, James. Yeah, thanks. I think that's been two pretty fruitful. Stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. All right, James, you ready to launch into space? Let's get ourselves into that orbit right now. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. James, I'm real excited to talk about space. Let's blast off, Paul. Jack White has had a long history of being a space aficionado. I find that claim highly suspect, James, and I'm going to need some evidence to back up this crazy crazy claim paul you've got it and you've got plenty nine pages worth of notes dear god (laughs) so jack white as you may or may not know put out an album paul and that's going to be our first topic for today carl sagan a glorious dawn with a network of wormholes you might emerge somewhere else in space when else in time the sky calls to us if we do not destroy ourselves we will one day venture to the stars a still more glorious dawn awaits not a sunrise but a galaxy rose a morning filled with four 
Now, I love Carl Sagan, James. He was the original narrator of Cosmos, and I know that television program had a lot of influence on people. Of course, it would be famously recreated by Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm. Seth MacFarlane, mm. <laughs> against all odds, and many others, Brandon Braga, uh, more, more recently. But Carl Sagan is a scientist, for those of you who don't know, and is uh, was, was a major scientific personality in the 70s and 80s. And uh, even wrote the novel Contact, which would yes. be made into a major motion picture starring Dame Jodie Foster. That's right. Uh, so, uh, A Glorious Dawn, it was originally a, a viral video of a remix of Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking quotes over top some music and beats by uh, John Boswell of Color Pulse Music. John has worked with PBS before, remixing assorted hosts and shows like Mr. Rogers. And the song was a single off of the album Symphony of Science, which was from John's Melody Sheep project, which is all available yes. on melodysheep.bandcamp.com for anybody who's interested. Yeah, and we actually talked about this a little bit, as I recall, during our year in review episode, episode 13, if I'm recalling correctly. And uh, I got the chance to listen to this guy's stuff, and it was very interesting. Yes, I, I've I've come to love this style of music and stuff. It's it's pretty cool. All this sample rock, electronic music, it's pretty good. Yes. So Jack White had seen this video and loved it, and had such an affinity for Carl Sagan that he decided to put this video to record, press it to vinyl, mm. and he wanted to time the release to coincide with the 75th anniversary of Carl Sagan's birth, which is November 9th, two thousand and nine. Carl Sagan, for those of you who don't know, I know Paul just went over a little bit of him, but he was, as Wikipedia calls it, American astronomer, cosmologist, astrophysicist, astrobiologist, author, science popularizer, and science communicator in astronomy and other natural sciences. Yes. He was a revered scientist who, who worked on everything from the science of extraterrestrial life to planetary stuff, and he's basically as close to a Star Trek xenobiologist that we can get in real right. life. <laughs> Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye have sort of picked up the mantle that he left off yes. with in in more modern terms. They're, they're sort of trying to fill that role because we hadn't we hadn't had one for a little while. Carl Sagan was such a personality that Stephen Hawking sort of just became the voice of astrophysics. But it's it was nice to have a charismatic person back in the limelight because Sagan was very charismatic. Yeah. And Bill Nye had actually been taught by Sagan at university, and Neil deGrasse Tyson really? had, oh. um, yeah. And Neil deGrasse Tyson had uh, a lot of interaction with him when he was young. They they famously were like pen pals for a while, and then met. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, Carl Sagan famously hosted the television series Cosmos, which was a huge success and a cultural phenomenon. It was one mm -hmm. of the few like science documentaries that went mainstream. Uh, I guess it was the <laughs> the closest thing we have to it now is like Planet Earth. Uh, right. Or the new cosmos for, to an extent. But yeah, he helped uh, to popularize science and make it kind of mainstream and sparked the interest of a lot of non-science-minded people and also sparked the science-minded to uh, to actually start their journey into science, uh, a la Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye and stuff. Right. In 1996, he died of pneumonia after battling an illness called MDS. But Jack White was always a huge fan of Carl Sagan. According to uh, the Washington Post, White is a huge fan of Sagan who died in 1996. He told Sagan's widow and collaborator Andrewian 
that the Dead Weathers European tour bus had a Sagan room where the band watched old episodes <laughs> of Cosmos. <laughs> so That's awesome. Yeah, they had a whole room in this bus that they dedicated to watching Cosmos. <laughs> I wonder where they slept. <laughs> so the record, it's side A, is A Glorious Dawn, the song which fe- features Stephen Hawking as well as Carl Sagan. The side yeah. B of the record is uh, actually an etching of the Voyager Golden Record, which set off into space in about 1977. Q first of many Star Trek the Motion Picture <laughs> jokes. Kirk unit. Beecher awaits the information. Beecher? B-G-E-R. Beecher. Voyager 6. B-O-I-A-G-E-R. Voyager. Voyager 6. Sad state of affairs when, when Bill Shatner thinks there's a Voyager 6, uh, when there's only two. He's wrong. He's very wrong. <laughs> well, you know, in the future he came from, James, no. he was very right. Look, I live in the J.J. Abrams verse, Paul. Uh, that would be the Kelvin uh, verse. I don't know what you're talking the- about. Voyager's liable to be in for one hell of a disappointment. So if you don't know about the Voyager probe, Paul, it was launched by NASA in, on September 5th, 1977, which was actually 16 days after its twin probe, Voyager 2. When will these egghead scientists learn common sense, James? This is uh, what's wrong with America and... Failing United States launches incorrectly numbered probes. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> the probe's primary mission objectives included flybys of Jupiter, Saturn, and Saturn's large moon, Titan. Hmm. Titan would be even better. The Titan will be even better. The probe is still out there, and uh, it's the first Earth object to enter the beginnings of interstellar space, and it's flying further and further away from Earth, most likely going to be wandering the Milky Way for eternity, or at least until it crashes mm-hmm. into something. Which will be a while. Yes. Until it crashes into some alien life forms and creates V'ger. All of this is V'ger. Interesting thing about, one of the interesting things about the Voyager probe is that it contained a golden record designed to give a sampling of Earth culture to any possible alien life it encounters. And it contained instructions for extraterrestrials who might encounter the probe at some point to build a record player to listen to it, which is... Right. Very up Jack White's alley. Uh, yes, it is. And also uh, talked about in the American Epic documentary where they talk to some of the scientists involved in that launching of that probe and why they chose some of the Delta Blues music that they did choose uh, for that. Yeah, you beat me to it, Paul. They, they included samples of uh, not only photos of Earth, its life forms, scientific information, greetings in 55 languages from people including the Secretary General of the United Nations and the President of the United States. Uh, they also included sounds of Earth like wind, crickets, frogs, a dog, a heartbeat, laughter. They also included 27 samples of music, which included Mozart, Bach, Chuck Berry, Beethoven, Stravinsky, Animal Collective, and Blind Willie Johnson, one of Jack's heroes. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad. I mean, it's cool. I think they the, the reasoning there was that they felt that that communicated a, a range of emotion in a very straightforward way, I believe, was sort of the roundabout reasoning. I'm sort of paraphrasing from that episode of American Epic. It had a timeless quality to it. 
It's certainly a piece about the hardship and tragedy of life and the feeling of being alone and desperate and homeless. Night has yet to fall anywhere on the planet without touching men and women in exactly that situation. So one of my first priorities was let's put this recording on this record intended to last for billions of years. Although odd, oddly enough, like I wonder why they decided to put like crickets in there. You know, if they were, well, they were like of all the animals, they were trying to do. It's like just a, if we're to assume that aliens can translate human speech, uh, then I, I guess we're to assume aliens can translate cricket speak, and so they're just gonna. Who knows what the hell those crickets were talking about? <laughs> they're just like, I gotta tell you, I hopped across a gigantic pile of shit today, and let me tell you. My foot here, it smells like shit on my foot. It smells like rhinoceros shit on my foot right here, okay? I've been playing this same song for months. No girls, no ladies. No lady crickets. What am I supposed to do? You're over here, you smell like shit. I'm here, I'm playing this song that's right. not working. All right, Lenny. Our lifespan is, All right. it's a midlife crisis and I'm only one day old. All right, Lenny. Why don't you go ahead and bring up the lasagna again while you're at it, while you're complaining about everything. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Why don't you grace the audience here oh, I'm with, sorry. Your, with the lasagna story you love telling so much? I'm sorry. I didn't realize I didn't have to play this song because I already have a nagging wife. I'm so alone, Lenny. <laughs> Me too, Carl. I'm so... <laughs> this is I'm... now Lenny and Carl from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been our offensive cricket characters, Lenny and Carl. From The Simpsons. Of Simpsons fame. <laughs> oh, God. So the song they included from Blind Willie Johnson was not Cricket Noises, Paul. It was Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground, which was originally recorded December 3rd, 1927. <laughs> Johnson plays the slide guitar in a haunting melody with murmurs and mumblings that have been theorized to be about the crucifixion of Jesus, and it kind of has a gospel quality to it. Um, and for such a simple bare-bones song, it does really have a big impact. It was the B-side of On the 78. It's nobody's fault but mine. Whoa. I wonder if Plant and Page got wind of that one for their own version of Nobody's Fault But Mine. It's possible? To Google! Paul's got some information. Nobody's Fault But Mine is a song recorded by English rock band Led Zeppelin, which was included on their 1976 album Presence, adapted from Blind Willie Johnson's It's Nobody's Fault But Mine. Hey! Oh, 
I had no idea that was a cover, and I think I like that song even more now. Sorry, James, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I learn something new every time we record these god Paul, I think we smelled a fact. Um, okay. <laughs> the, uh, the title of the song, Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground, uh, originates from an 18th century hymn. Steve Martin actually joked about the Voyager probe uh, that Earth had received a message back from another world that just said, send more Blind Willie Johnson. So... Uh, The release, like I said, was timed for the 75th birthday of the late Carl Sagan, November 9th, 2009. Also happening on that day of the release was a reception in the United States Congress hosted by the Planetary Society, Paul, which was co-founded by Carl Ah. Sagan, which White would soon become a member of. Is he really? He is. That is absolutely crazy because Bill Nye, I think, heads up the Planetary Society. Yeah. Uh, So White would attend this, this conference to basically premiere this record and that's when he met uh, andrewian his uh, carl sagan's widow also speaking of andrewian on the golden record on the voyager probe uh, it also contained uh, her brainwaves as well an hour-long recording of her brainwaves Aww, that's very sweet i feel like i i feel like i had heard that before but i don't remember where uh, if any of you haven't listened to Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast called Star Talk. Uh, it's a wonderful podcast, and uh, they go over stuff like this a lot, and it's always very fascinating. Anyway, I digress. Tyson. Uh, when Jack White had attended this event, at this event, uh, they interviewed Andrewian, and she says I th- about the song, I thought it was a brilliant hymn to reality. And for me, science is just as spiritual as any organized form of religion. It's just that we don't have any good music. Uh, of Jack White, she says, he is a perfect partner. He's obviously a brilliant guy. And uh, she, she talks about it here briefly on a podcast. You know, I had this fantasy that somebody really gifted, somebody who had some clout in the music world would come to me and want to make uh, an actual single of this, and of course it happened. Just a week or two later, the wonderful Jack White, founder of the White Stripes and the Rock on Tours and the Dead Weather, really gifted musician, uh, came to me and said, let's release this as single. So of the album, there was a, a standard black 7-inch. Uh, there was a 12-inch version released. There were 150 Cosmos-colored version. Seven-inch variants, uh, 50 of those... Of course there were. <laughs> 50 of those being randomly inserted into mail orders, and there were 75 Texas-sized, quote-unquote, eight-inch versions that were available at the Third Man Records pop-up store in Austin, Texas, during South by Southwest 2010. So, Paul, that'll bring us right into the year 2012 with our next topic, Paul. Ooh! Buzz Aldrin. Buzz, 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 buzz. Tell me about Buzz Aldrin, James. I will, Paul. Buzz Aldrin... I love that guy. ...was one of the men who walked on the moon. He did. One of the very few. He shakes his fist at the moon every night. (laughs) Would you like to yell at the moon with Buzz Aldrin? Yes. Please. I own you. You dumb moon! I walked on your face! Don't you know it's day? Idiot! One of the very few. One of the very few and very first. And in 2012... Uh, remember the la- that was 2009 when they released this record. In 2012, Interview Magazine set out to interview Jack White, and they, for some reason, called on former astronaut and moonwalker Buzz Aldrin to interview him. <laughs> Interesting. Why did they get Buzz Aldrin to interview him? I, they don't really even know. I mean, it's Jack. That's why. The interview is, is hilarious. Buzz Aldrin obviously has 
really no cognizant memory of who or why Jack White is. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm he, sure Jack White doesn't care. Buzz did his research, or at least has his research in front of him that his interns did or something, but... I would love to be Buzz Aldrin's intern. <laughs> what do you think that's like? I can't get the copier to work, Mr. Aldrin. You can't get the copier to work. I went to the moon. <laughs> I know, Mr. Aldrin, but the copy machine is broken. You want to talk broken? The Apollo missions, they were broken. <laughs> Will somebody get these god crickets out of here? I think they're picking up my habits. So the interview is, is pretty funny like that, though. It's, it, you know, Buzz Aldrin in general has a pretty good sense of humor. Like I just mentioned earlier, he was on 30 Rock. So he's yes. a funny guy. He's got a sense of humor. Here's some some snippets from the uh, the interview. Uh, Buzz Aldrin says, you're in Memphis? Jack White says, yeah, we're playing here tonight. Where are you, Buzz? And Aldrin says, I'm in Los Angeles, in Century City. We're occupying a temporary residence. I filed for divorce back in June. You don't know about things like that, do you? <laughs> Uh, which was <laughs> awkward at the time. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Uh, another quote, uh, White says, Carl Sagan once said something similar, that it's a beautiful moment in human history when we're actually talking about visiting other worlds. Buzz says, I noticed that you did something with Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking. Is that right? Referring to the Glorious Dawn single. Jack White says, yeah, we put out a record on Third Man, a seven inch of composer John Boswell's A Glorious Dawn. That's one of the records that I'm proudest of having released. Carl Sagan was a huge influence. We have a secret project at Third Man where we want to have the first vinyl record played in outer space. We want to launch a balloon that carries a vinyl record player and possibly that Carl Sagan record and figure out a way to drop the needle with all that turbulence up there to ensure that it'll spin. Wow. So in 2012, he's... He was he's, thinking about this, yeah. It's the first time he mentions it. Uh, that and was in the works for a long time, my God. A very, very long time. So the interview does go on. I'll, I'll just read a couple more interesting things. Buzz says, I have to tell you, before this interview, the closest I ever came to Jack White was a Jack Waite I used to know. <laughs> who I was a that. rap for a who was a rep for North American Aviation. He was I married to a gorgeous gal. I used to know a Ralph White. He died recently. <laughs> but he dove down to the Titanic in Russian submersibles. <laughs> I had lunch with him once, and he said that he spent more time on the Titanic than the captain did. That's a joke. But Jack, now that I'm familiar with your work, I do have some questions for you. I know that your new album is called Blunderbuss. Tell me about that. Jack says, well, I've always loved the word blunderbuss. I've always thought that it was a beautiful word and it can mean several different things. Buzz says, a blunderbuss is a kind of gun. The kind that could blow your... <laughs> the kind that could blow your head off. Jack says, exactly. I was hoping maybe that some of these songs might blow people's minds, too. Ah, oh, that's very sweet. I just love that uh, Buzz was like... It means what this one thing. <laughs> it means this. You, yeah, again. The two of them bond over Karen Carpenter music, and Buzz seems generally confused about Jack's endeavors, <laughs> but has a sense of humor about the whole thing. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Buzz says, you know what's interesting? You musician guys count up. One, two, three. But we rocket guys count down. Three, two, one. That is and very Jack funny. Says, Jack says, you, should, uh, you and I should go on tour together. We should do a two-man act, uh, which Buzz agrees. Jack says... In another snippet, well, I've always been fascinated by what you've done for humanity. I also write a lot about the moon. I even wrote a song about it on this new record. So it was important for me to speak to somebody who has actually been there. I can't for the life of me think of what the song is. And it's but on there? 
That's what he says. Uh, Jack so, White does but, write about the moon, though, because he did write about White Moon, which appeared on Get Behind Me Satan. He said it definitely wound up on Blunderbuss, or he wrote it around the time of Blunderbuss. I even wrote a new. I even wrote a song about it on this new record. On this new record, huh? Callie, get at us. Yeah, hit us up. I don't know what it could be. I have no idea. So uh, to to end this little bit here, here's here's a, a back and forth real quick. When you come out to Los Angeles, we'll have a full moon party, whether it's a full moon or not. Jack says that would be amazing. Oh, I love I love those two together. They're good, good space boys. <laughs> good space boys. And Paul, you know what's you know what's Buzz helped put on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, tell me, James. You know, he he helped raise an American flag. And and because because it's up there on the moon, it's being hit by radiation, Paul. It's being hit by radiation, and it's being torn to shreds. It's being torn and being turned into some kind of mottled fabric, Paul. It's being turned into some kind of rag, almost. You're, uh... (laughs) You're really taking me on a journey with this one. (laughs) It's a ragamuffin. It's a ragamuffin. So, Paul, do you want to tell them what the, the, the fine folks what a ragged bone is? Yes, James. Ragged bone is we fi- when we, as you put it so wonderfully one time, uh, it's where we find something weird. We put it in our weird podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so this weird thing that I found when, I, when researching Jack White and Buzz Aldrin in the moon, I came across some stuff, Paul. I came across some things. Hit me. Jack White is not only a famous musician, Paul. Jack White Hmm. is also the name of a famous conspiracy theorist whom, among many things, disputes the moon landing. Whoa! Wow! Uh, He's not the big-haired alien guy, is he? No, no, he's not. Is such a thing even possible? Yes, it is. Okay. According to RationalWiki.com, Jack White, uh, he was born in 1927 and died in 2012, when this interview was actually done with Buzz Aldrin. Uh, and he was apparently a self-proclaimed expert in photographic analysis with a conspiratorial bent. Who had a nice long run. Yes. Based on his analysis of some photographs, he came to believe in some JFK assassination conspiracies and actually testified to that effect in front of the House Select Committee on Assassinations in the 1970s. Oh, was uh, he on the on the one from the JFK movie? James, I'm going to have to ask you to take this podcast back and to the left. Back... And to the left. Back and to the left. Uh, And later on, he became one of the less famous proponents of the moon landing conspiracy theories. To quote, again, uh, still quoting this rationalwiki.com, the people who knew shit about the Apollo program were not impressed by his arguments either. So he's a crackpot, is what we're saying here. No, he's, yeah. His arguments are well documented, and almost all of them have been rebuffed and rebuked and spat upon. That is one magic loogie. I'm sure that if at 90, if you passed him his own arguments, he would rebuff and rebuke them himself or something. He was making these theories up until the, like, late 2000s paul like before his death he was still saying that this stuff is wrong it looks like he had like uh photoshop elements that he found and he was like upping the contrast on photos and being like look see cameras <laughs> i want i want our inevitable like inevitably there's a listener out there who's into this guy or into this stuff and i want that listener to please write us and and please share your side of the story yes uh we do not uh, mean to disparage or to uh, make you feel bad however we think this man is a crackpot 
Some of his theories, in quotes, uh, included but not limited to, why does the spacesuit have a fly, like on a pair of pants? (laughs) (laughs) Photo removed from Apollo image gallery after revealed sun was just a giant light bulb. I mean, what is it really other than a giant light bulb? Uh, Yeah. Like I said, a lot of a lot of bullshit and a lot of racks and emeralds. Oh, hey, look at all this. You don't want it. You sure you don't want it? I take it. From that rag and bone, we're gonna go right into our next to- next and last topic. Ooh, our next and last topic, James. What is it? Hit me. It's the Icarus Craft. Ah, the Icarus craft. In 2012, so around the time that uh, that interview with Buzz Aldrin, uh-huh. longtime friend and Third Man Records electronics consultant Kevin Carrico and Jack White watched a video in, in which a father and a son in upstate New York launch a weather balloon with a camera attached. Huh. According to Kevin, he said, I sent that to Jack, and like three seconds later, he came back with, why didn't we think of this? <laughs> Kevin says, and then he, he says, we later realized that some of the same technologies that we were using on the record players might actually help us during a flight. Hmm. So there was a little bit of a gap between 2009 and 2012 with him not working on this. But from 2012 onwards up till 2016, Jack is working on this Icarus project. Awesome. Jack White uh, asked Kevin Carrico, the guy he watched this video with, uh, to design and engineer a spacecraft. Jack was watching a lot of YouTube, it seems. <laughs> why does this? Why does the captain have to climb the mountain? Oh, <laughs> it's because he's having a love affair with the mountain. Uh, uh, I understand. It's very funny. Hey, Swank! I want you to find me a mountain I can have a love affair with. I want to make love to the mountain, Swank. Swank, what the hell is chocolate rain? <laughs> that panda just sneezed, Swank. <laughs> He's a Tron guy. He's in a really bad Tron costume. <laughs> Jack White asked Kevin Carrico to design and engineer a spacecraft after this video. Uh, design and engineer a spacecraft that could launch a phonograph into space. It would be done to inspire, to innovate, and basically to celebrate the seventh anniversary of Third Man Records. Hmm. So Jack White came up with this crazy idea to launch an entire yes. record player into space. It's uh, a cool idea. I mean, it's a very him idea, but it's cool, you know? It, yeah. Yeah, he's he's the guy who's coming up with lots of the world's fastest record and all this other stuff. He's trying his best yeah. to, to come up with new and fresh things to do. Kevin Carrico, uh, you might actually recognize him, or at least folks who listen to the podcast might recognize him. He has also worked on the Waxomatic and recording booths at the Third Man Records in the Cast Corridor, and he's he's a longtime Third Man family member. He was the director of photography on the Hotel Yorba music video. Oh, uh, interesting. He was also the editor on the Black Bell's Lies video. Uh, he's worked on several Blanche videos. Wow. So he's he's had connections with Jack Ferd for a long, long time. They met in Michigan. His father was Dr. John P. Carrico, um, a physicist who worked on the Mars Viking missions. Mm-hmm. His brother, John, is an astrophysicist. Uh, his other brother is uh, works in aerospace analytics. Uh, his sister-in-law is a rocket scientist. He's got a lot of background. In 2013, a little bit of time, but in 2013, Kevin uh, finished his design for the Icarus craft, which he dubbed... The Icarus craft. It was a self-calibrating phonograph player that could be lifted into the atmosphere while still playing the record. And to get into the name Icarus, 
It was named after the Greek mythical character Icarus, who, with his father, attempted to escape the island of Crete. With wax and feather wings, Icarus, uh, consumed by hubris, flew too close to the sun, and uh, his wax wings, the wax in his wings, melted, causing him to fall into the sea. You know, they're sending a space probe up close to the sun, and then the balloon pops because it gets too close to the sun, and then it falls back down. So, yeah. I guess that makes sense. The craft was 25 pounds of lightweight aluminum. It was shaped like an isosceles triangular prism. Of course, it had friggin' three sides. Um, (laughs) With a record visible on the center, the needle and phonograph cartridges were sourced from discontinued Rockola jukeboxes, and it spun a quarter-inch copper record platter. Uh, Carico custom-made brackets and a tone arm for the craft, and it contained a switch from an Apollo training module that acted as the start switch for Icarus. So to start it, they used an Apollo training switch. That's cool. They loaded the craft with a gold-plated 12-inch version of the A Glorious Dawn record, which we were talking about earlier in the show. And it was apparently third man's three millionth record pressed. So that was another celebration for this Icarus Ah, craft, was to to launch that. Which I... I think we mentioned in the the Big Three episode, our 33rd episode, Spectacular. That sounds about right. Let me present some photographic evidence to debunk that. The, the craft was space-proof, and it was to be lifted with a high-altitude balloon. According to, uh, to Carico, as you, as you rise higher and higher into the thinning atmosphere, temperature and increasing vacuum lack of air cause, can cause issues. Vinyl has a rather low melting point of 160 degrees Fahrenheit. And without air to keep things cool, you could wind up with a lump of melted plastic on your hands. If a record is exposed to the sun for too long, without air, things in direct sunlight get very hot while things in shade get very cold. And this constant heat change uh, can cause expansion and contraction, which will distort the the record, which makes it basically unplayable. So the uh, the platter also apparently acted as a heat sink in order to keep the vinyl cool in direct sunlight. Interesting. So consulting experts on the project included Buzz Aldrin, like we talked about before. According to Carico, Buzz Aldrin gave some information as to what to expect and was joking we'd have a harder time in the atmosphere than we did in orbit. Uh, apparently, Aldrin also recommended that Jack White talk to the CEO of Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic because Branson is, quote, always interested in doing unusual things, says Buzz. Mm. The uh, Another consulting expert was Neil deGrasse Tyson, Paul. Uh, oh, the, cool. The man, nice. the cosmos man himself, or, co- or cosman, if you will. That cosmaniac, Neil yes. deGrasse Tyson. Neil and Jack had actually met when Tyson was in Nashville a number of years ago. Apparently, according to Tyson, I visited Jack White's recording studio. He's a big fan of the universe, I guess. So uh, <laughs> so he found me, really. There are songs he's composed that have been inspired by the universe. It's the artist invoking science as their muse. And that's all according to the Tennessean. Uh, they're quoting Neil deGrasse Tyson there. Um, Love that paper. It's a good paper. The two had actually met uh, in D.C. at the Planetary Society celebration of Carl Sagan's birthday, which we talked about earlier. Um, so that was a, another time they, they had gotten together. Uh, also in attendance was Bill Nye the Science Guy and Al Gore via video. And according to Planetary Society co-founder Lou Friedman, not your usual group for a Jack White event. 
Um, <laughs> well, yeah, it wouldn't be the first time he's rubbed with presidential types, eh? Hey! Or, uh, or man bear pig theorists. <laughs> According to Friedman, uh, Jack White became the newest member of the group, and uh, he says he's highly motivated to keep in touch, so we're very excited. Good! The, the record was gold-plated. The gold plating on the record protected the shape and playability of the record, and helped deflect some of the sunlight the craft was also wrapped in gold mylar like a space blanket to the same effect uh their destination was to be near space not space but near space which uh is basically just like it sounds it's very close to space but not quite there yet yeah to quote carico actually where we flew we only had one percent atmosphere it's an area called near space that nasa uses all the time but it's also space because if you are 99 percent out of the atmosphere what are you in (laughs) Yeah. The craft needed to withstand pressure drop, the cold, the heat, the movement, and a lot of these challenges were very hard to overcome. And they also needed to have approval by the FAA and FCC, as well as low winds and clear skies to be able to, to fly this probe. It was launched. Interesting. It was launched with the help of Satins, students and teachers in near space, which they're an organization designed to help students, teachers and scientists experiment and launch into near space. Uh, David Jankowski heads Satins and was present for the launch. They used a 3,000 gram K-Mont weather balloon filled with 647 cubic feet of hydrogen, a method reminiscent of the song Baby Brother, Paul. Well, I bought my baby brother a toy balloon. He let it get away and it floated toward the moon. Instead of crying, he climbed up on the fence, started flapping his arms, and knew he ain't seen him since. A baby brother, hey, baby brother. To track the craft upon landing, they installed two homemade radio-based tracking devices that could operate above 60,000 feet. Jankowski says, if one failed, it's always nice to be able to find your stuff. Air Force veteran L. Paul Verhage uh, was on the site as well. He works in near space helping facilitate space experiments, um, and in his blog he briefly talks about the launch and explaining that the craft is also set up with a thermal imaging camera. Uh, it's one thing that made the flight unique is that it carried this image, thermal imager into near space, which he believes is the first time this thermal imager has been to near space. Yeah, it looks like uh, NASA uses near space to study a lot of stuff, including dark matter and, and black holes and uh, all, all kinds of stuff. The launch was basically kind of waiting until they had all the right conditions instead of launching it on the actual anniversary of uh, Third Man Records, like they were planning, they were waiting for the perfect conditions. So on July 2nd, 2016, at 8.40 a.m., they secretly released this, you know, they called the FAA and FCC, but they released this craft and they set it loose near Marsing, Idaho, and uh, four GoPro cameras with custom sounded fog proofing adjustments filmed the whole ascent and descent, and there's a launch video where they almost hit a drone, uh, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Nice. Craft reached a peak altitude of 94,413 feet, uh, and it had about an hour and 21 minutes of flight time. So it rose basically roughly um, 1,000 feet a minute. Uh, when the balloon burst, the whole time the record was playing, you know, in the camera, you can actually listen, watch the whole 121 minutes of it on YouTube. And uh, the, the record is playing the whole time, the needle's just raising up and going back and playing a glorious dawn. At its peak, the surrounding temperature was negative 60 degrees Fahrenheit. A parachute uh, carried the craft down about four times as fast as it rose, or about uh, 22 and a half miles per hour. 
On its descent, the phonograph went into, quote, turbulence mode, where the record would continue spinning, but the tone arm was locked in place to keep the record safe. And it landed two miles away in a vineyard with the record still spinning. Wow. Carico says, uh, we all just looked at each other and no one really said anything. I know we did it and I keep watching the footage, but it still hasn't sunk in yet. According to the New Yorker, Carico had calculated that the turntable had more than 90% chance of landing on a farm. Some guys working at a utility pole on a utility pole in a vineyard near Nampa saw something on a parachute coming toward them. When Carico and his crew <laughs> arrived, they followed a GPS signal. The workers pointed to where the parachute had landed um, amongst some grapevines. On July 19th, Third Man Records released a teaser of this project. So really the first official announcement came after it was already done. Uh, and the video simply said, uh, on July 30th, Third Man Records will make vital history again. And they played dramatic music. On July 30th, they, they have uh, two launch parties, one in Cass Corridor, one in Nashville. So big, big, huge parties with... You know, people, members of the team that, that flew it and members that built it and engineers and stuff. And Jack White says, our main goal from inception to completion of this project was to inject imagination and inspiration into the daily discourse of music and vinyl lovers. Combining our creative impulses with those of discovery and science is our passion. And even on the scale that we were working with here, it was exhilarating to decide to do something that hasn't been done before and to work towards its completion. And it brings us great f fulfillment to pay tribute to the incredible scientist and dreamer that Carl Sagan was. We hope that in meeting our goal to in meeting our goal we inspire others to dream big and start their own missions whatever whatever they may be. Ours is a podcast. <laughs> Ours is a podcast, James. <laughs> to quote White again, it's kind of a pointless thing at the same time as being a very readable and deep thing. It's to spur people's imagination, you know. So, you know, we've come out with records where there's a seven inch hidden inside of a 12 inch and there's a, a liquid filled record. And, yeah. you know, someone could call it gimmicky or frivolous or whatever, but I, all I care about is that 15 year old kid over there thinking something's interesting and he gets into music because of some of the, one of those tricks and it, it gets him involved in his imagination. And this kid might be able to come and beat the record and make his own module that goes higher than this one does. Paul. That's going to do it for the Icarus craft and for Jack in space. Oh, James, that was a lot of great space travel, and I think we're ready to blast off to our third woman for this week. <laughs> Engage. <laughs> We'd like to welcome our third woman this week, Miss Mrs. Ariel Kaminsky. How's it going? <laughs> It'd be better if you knew that I was your wife. Ariel, you're on the show. We're very, very happy you're here. Thank you for finally coming aboard. It only took you 40 episodes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it took her a while. For folks out there who don't know, this is my wife. She's been on drips and drabs of the bloopers for the most part. I um, like to interrupt. And actually, Ariel has also appeared in the Christmas episode. That'd be episode 12. That is true. Uh, where she helped recite the poem that we read I read the Lily May Rishi part she did Ooh. read the Lily May Rishi part and that's an amazing transition into <laughs> what we're about to talk about 
we brought you here to be a part of our fell in love with a show segment. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you, yeah. Paul, do you want to explain what fell in love with a show is? Yes. Fell in love with a show is when we go to see a Jack White or Jack White affiliated concert out there in the world. And then we come back to you, the listener, and we report back our findings. Sort of like a reverse wild thornberries. Smashing. Or that, that pedophile from the Fraggle Rock. Are you talking about the old man? <laughs> <laughs> Who owns the dog? Which one had, which, No, no. Which one had the? Which one had the safari hat? That that pedophile. Here, there is a creature of unimaginable size. At regular intervals, he simply squirts the water into the sky. I don't know, Paul. Did he build the cabalito? Oh, he built the cabalito. Let me tell you, and the cops are still chasing him. This is all gross. <laughs> yeah, Paul. Just like the wild thornberries in that everything else you said me and ariel went out into the world ariel and i uh went out into the world and we uh we saw lily may rishi I like her yeah so we went to um brooklyn well, yeah we went to brooklyn we saw her at rough trade in brooklyn uh on june 27th on north 9th street right not, not- 9th <laughs> street which is where we originally ended up Oh God! And we <laughs> we put in the GPS. Ariel asked me where where are we going. So I I instead of telling her rough trade and having Google just figure it out, I told her the actual address, which was printed on the ticket. Which is a which is a bathhouse. Well, essentially, it... actually, it's a warehouse <laughs> with baths. It's like a reuse place. They do a flea market. I've been there when I lived in Brooklyn. Okay. There's no Rishis to be found. Yeah, no. I was like, are you sure this is the right place? I mean... So you get to the venue. Uh, what what type of venue size are we talking about here? Was it a big place? Was it a small well, place? I saw some photos. It looked a little cozy. It was cozy. Well, the front of it was a record store. Yes. Ooh, that's cool. And it was actually kind of a pretty decent size for a record store in Brooklyn. Usually in Brooklyn, things are... But um, they had like a little cafe in the record store, and then I, the actual venue was kind of behind it. They had a stage, and then the whole bar and like floor and balcony was in there. They didn't have the balcony open; it was just standing room. Right. It was pretty small, but I was still surprised it was there behind the whole record store part. It was like yeah. a, a Polly Pocket or a Mighty Max version of Terminal Five. It fits in your pocket. We arrived there just in time. So you can get there, you have a drink at the bar, hang out a little bit. Uh, we we had cookies. Yeah, we didn't have dinner. Okay. So we didn't want to drink too much because I knew I had to drive and... And we were hungry. We were hungry. So we bought the only food they had, which they had... was two cookies left at the cafe. They only had two left. Okay, very nice. <laughs> and so we, we were eating our cookies uh, in the venue. Gross. And, and James showed me a picture of Lily May. Yeah, I was saying, so like, I was showing her, you know, Lily May and Frank and a couple other people, because, um, yeah. you know, I thought I'd, you know, better acquaint her with what they look like. And, and the whole... Oh, actually, I should say, too, because James better acquainted me before we even got there. When he had offered to get the tickets for the show, I was like, sure, I'll go with you, but I have no idea about any of this music, so why don't you give me some music? <laughs> 
So I was actually able to listen and acquaint myself with all the music before going, which made it a lot more fun in that sense. Yeah, she listened to the Very album cool. more times than I have because she just kept it on in the car. Yeah. On loop. I have a really bad habit of not changing the CDs in my car, so I <laughs> listen to them like over and over until I really go insane. <laughs> yeah, I well, I did the same thing with that album because I loved it very much. Uh, I Honky Tonks and Taverns is a standout. There's lots of standouts on there, but okay. she's wonderful. I love that album. Yeah, I do too. So, for the record, we had an amazing parking spot, which actually does factor in. It's not just me bragging about how great this parking spot was. He's got the good spot in front of the good building in the good neighborhood. I know he's not going to want to move. <laughs> Are you serious? You don't know what that spot means to him. We found a spot in front of the door. To we the had venue. the closest spot possible to the door. So we had our own personal locker uh-huh. outside the place. Did One. you put stickers on it? Uh, yeah, we put lots of stickers on Did it. Did you write boys' numbers there in Magic Marker? I'm hungry, but that hunger will linger. I ate 16 cookies? Anyway, Ariel wanted to drop something in the car and I wanted to get a water bottle that we had left in the car. Yeah, so I went out to the car, didn't want to hold my purse and all that, and because James had just shown me this picture of Lily, I knew that it was her stepping (laughs) out of the van next to my car that probably would have liked to have that space my car was parked in, but I just shimmied between the van and the car, and I was like, hi, how's it going? She was like, <laughs> you just said hi? Yeah, I said hey, and she said hi, how are you? I said, I'm great, I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> and then she got back in the van and drove away. <laughs> I don't know, I was just saying hi, I say hi to people, I'm friendly. It's true. So, yeah, I got the stuff, and I was like, James, you should have gone to the car. You would have liked to go to the yeah, car. She had this smirk on her face. Oh, like, no. Because I, like, oh. I just, like, as she went out there, I saw Frank and her sister and the drummer um, walking through. McKenna Grace. At that point, I was like, I should probably go outside. Either. So James drank all of the water <laughs> yeah, so, so the that wa- he could put the water bottle back in the car. This story ain't getting any better, yeah. James. So I, I chugged this water. I love James. I chugged this water bottle, and I'm like, I'm going to go put this water bottle in the car. And Ariel's like, I'll come with you. And I was like, oh, you, you can't see this at home, folks, but James is turning bright red right now. Because yeah, um, he was a little embarrassed. I was I was bright red the whole time because I went out there and Ariel's like she's to the left and I'm like oh it's her. So I, I was not gonna say anything. <laughs> she was taking a smoke break, and uh, I didn't want to bother her because you know I remember Paul when you met her. Uh, you said you didn't want to bother her while she was taking a smoke break. Well, I did. Uh, I <laughs> <laughs> I saw her and I went. Uh, hi, Lily May. Which sounds sounded just so awkward. I'm sure my voice cracked. Just, oh, hi! <laughs> it didn't crack. <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, hi!" And, and I was just gonna leave it at that. And then I, you know, I w- took a step and I was like, y- "You mind uh, signing something for me, real quick?" And she's like, "Oh, yeah, of course." And so she walks over, and so she signed it, and I was telling her about, you know, you meeting her. You know, I had said, like, oh, yeah, he saw you at the L.A. show uh, after Conan. And she went, oh, I remember him. We talked about, like, his business and stuff. And and, uh, <laughs> and then uh, the drummer, Tanner, he went, was he the guy at that sh- show at, after Conan? Because he had, like, heard a little bit. And I said, yeah. He's like, I remember him. 
He's like, that venue was weird. <laughs> and Lily Mae went, yeah, it was weird. That's awesome. So I was super embarrassed the whole time. I was, like, starstruck. I could barely talk. I felt super embarrassed that I was getting something signed because I was like, well, I'm that fan now. I've become I've become the take, take, take fan. Um, <laughs> and I felt the same way when I got the photo, so it's yeah. fine. I tried to, like, give you, like, an excuse. You had to wait for me to come back because as he started talking to her, I grabbed the water bottle out of his hand and I said, I'll put this away for you and <laughs> put it in the car. Ariel, I love that you were James's wingman in that situation. <laughs> and she was I, doing her I best. Just got, I have to be a supportive wife, you yeah. know? He's just, he's like a small child. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love this. I love yeah. you. Oh, God. James, you're not a small child. No, you're not. You're but I certainly act like one. You're James, you're a big, brave dog. You're a big, brave dog. I'm a big, brave dog. <laughs> so Ariel wa- saunters over after I'm making a fool of myself. I didn't even give her my name, so I was like, you're famous. <laughs> and uh, I thought about taking a photo, and I'm like, no, that's too much. I got the autograph. That's all I need right now. That was all that I needed. Uh, <laughs> and so I, we just went back in, and yeah, you said it fine. I mean, I'm assuming you you were laying it. I could see like it being fine. No, he was fine. He he was just over worried, yeah. and I think she was flattered that we knew who she was and that we were there and excited. She was very like upbeat and excited about everything. And then like, James ran away, flailing his arms in the air, crying. Yeah. She said she liked my name, though. <laughs> she did, yeah. She said it's a very pretty name. But I always liked the name Lily. Yeah, and so... So I, we, I, we had a moment. Yeah. It was a moment. The house eventually starts filling up. It actually fills up a, a, a lot. Like, there was a lot of people. We we had a place right next to the stage. Uh, right. My to, idea. Yeah, the front towards the right. <laughs> uh, Go Ariel! <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we could basically lean on the stage if we wanted to and uh so the show started with her having some like setup issues she couldn't find her fiddle stand so she was trying Uh to lean it on the amps really carefully and it kept falling so for like the first couple minutes it was her trying to set her gear just on stuff (laughs) um (laughs) she was like i had a stand (laughs) and this is this is the show that came right after colbert so she had just come from manhattan uh not long ago really really good show super energetic the crowd was great Uh, everybody was super thrilled to be there it seemed we were clapping we tried our best to to start like group claps and some other people started group claps (laughs) me and ariel were dancing right up front the whole time ariel was dancing a lot and she kept trying to get me to dance more I thought it was a lot of fun. That's why I was dancing. <laughs> uh, what do you think of that kind of music? Is that the kind of music that you listen to often, or or is that was that a it was a country show a new experience for you? That type of country, I would say yes. Um, I've been to like with friends. I went to like Jason Aldean concerts and stuff, but that's a totally different thing. This was interesting to me in that it was very down to earth. I think she was, they were all very down to earth just having a good time. And I think that kind of rubbed off on the 
crowd as well. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Everybody just seemed to be having a good time together. Like, it was a really good dynamic there. The beat was fun. People were clapping. I feel like sometimes you can go to a show and people are just kind of watching. When people are having a fun time, they're moving around a lot, they're engaged. It's more like if you were at a party and a live band was playing, it felt more like that. That's cool. I also enjoy, this is just me, I don't know if if other people feel the same way, but when I know the music ahead of time, it makes it a lot more fun Mm. for me. And because I was so familiar with the CD and that I drove back and forth from New Jersey to Ohio... Um, and didn't really change the CD. Uh. <laughs> Six hours. So you were very, very, very familiar with it. My, pro- I like to do that too. I like to prep before I go to the show. And so when I went to see her, the album wasn't actually out yet. So I only knew the single, and I knew her older material. But I hadn't listened. See that I didn't know any of. Yeah, uh, but actually, it, it, she didn't even wind up playing much older material anyway. The only older material she played wound up being re-recorded for the album anyway. So it was sort of a weird experience that way. But I was so like one or two songs. I was like, oh, I know that one. But I would have much preferred what you did, which is to get to know the album really well and then go to see it. Yeah, she did play a couple of songs that I guess they were older material that I didn't know. And some of them were a lot of fun. There were some some older ones in the mix where she said, like, this is from a while ago. I'm looking for a set list. I can't find one. Other people scooped them up. James was very disappointed. Like, people grabbed the set list, like, lightning quick. But I was going to ask the girl who took the set list if I could take a picture of it, just so I could know what she played. But I wish you had told me that, because <laughs> I would have asked her to take a picture yeah. of it. I have no shame in these things. So that's cool. So the show was good. Would she play for, like, uh, 40 minutes, half hour? What, 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 what did she play for? I would say an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's she, a good, she, nice, she, long set. They didn't set. have... Uh, uh, clocks or watches or anything on stage so at one point they actually asked uh, us in the front row if they know what time it is <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love so, that and that's James great said that's great 1005 and then the other person said no it's 1003 <laughs> <laughs> real real great semantics argument to get into a rock concert <laughs> a country concert uh, and so you said there was a special guest as well yeah I liked her. Yeah, Martha Spencer. I looked her up, actually. She's a multi-instrumentalist and flatfoot dancer. Her dancing was cool. She was actually standing behind us a little bit in the crowd, and I didn't really know who she was. She was in this kind of country-looking dress with cowboy boots and a big red hat. Yeah, it was a big 10-gallon cowboy hat. (laughs) But I saw this girl behind me, and I'm like, wow, she really went all out. And I'm like, cool. You know, whatever. I didn't know that she was going to, like, go up on stage or that she could sing and dance like that. That was crazy. She's from the White Top Mountaineers, which is a folk band from the that got started in the 40s from uh, White Top, Virginia. Uh-huh. Lily Mae uh, invited her on stage, and she played a really, really uh, sweet song. Um, and she did some cool dancing, right? Her dancing was so fun. <laughs> she was kicking and spinning. And doing those weird foot things. <laughs> we'll post we'll post yeah. a little bit of that on our Facebook because uh, I was able to, you know, I, yeah. I did the anti Jack thing and I filmed filmed some of it. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, we're, we're gonna post a lot of weird foot things on our Facebook. <laughs> it's gonna get it's gonna get real. So after the show, we were milling about, and you know the band was cleaning up, and Lily Lily put her stuff away, and she was just meeting and greeting fans at the end, and so she had a line of fans <laughs> to meet and greet her, and she was taking photos with everyone. Yeah, so I. I it was awesome. like when you're in line for the Disney princesses. <laughs> get your photo. She's a yeah. country princess. Yeah. So uh, I decided to, again, be the take, take, take. You know, the autograph wasn't good enough. While we were waiting for Lily, we actually talked to her sister and to the drummer, and we had said, like, oh, thanks for such no, a great show. we talked to the drummer after. But they had both said, um, you know, they saw us dancing Apparently there. everybody noticed us dancing. <laughs> Including Lily. And they were all very grateful and appreciative, though. Yeah. And they were glad we had a good yeah. time because I told them all uh, how much fun I had. Yeah, and they were so. like, it shows. You got to keep the energy up at a show. And, I'm, you know, they're exhausted. They've been playing. They played Colbert that day. It, you know, having you guys there. Believe me, I, I saw you dance at my wedding. <laughs> I, I know uh, what that looks like. I, I and it's very it's very high energy. I didn't jump on James's back. No. no. I, I thought that would be rude. Yeah. Yeah. But you did, did do a lot of aerial gymnastics and some uh, tight right. spins. Well, we did we did a couple spins. Yeah, we did do a couple spins, yeah. especially in that song where she's talking yeah. about the spinning. <laughs> round and round, yeah. Yeah, round and round. I've got a That, that, that's very cute. Yeah, so they were very appreciative. The drummer especially, uh, Tanner, had said, like, how much he appreciated it. And says, like, when I'm drumming back there, you know, I'm keeping the beat. And it's nice to see that people are, like, get into the show and into the beat. Because it makes him feel like he's doing the, a right, the right thing. Yeah, he said one of the most flattering awesome. things you can do for a drummer is dance. Because it means that the beat's good. <laughs> They all were, were super thrilled with how the show turned out, like, crowd-wise. Oh, yeah, they said uh-huh. they were only expecting, like, maybe 30 people, and this place was packed. Yeah. So they were all very yeah, that's great. excited about that. They, they said it. that's never what they expected. It's awesome. They, what did they say? It was their first, like... It was their first, tour, like, part of the leg of the tour in New York. So they'd never done that before. They yeah. made it sound like it was their first real show or something. They they were all, like, really happy with the turnout. That's great. Yeah. I thought it was normal. And I told her so. <laughs> I said, hey, listen. Hey, calm down. This is very I mean, normal. I didn't say that. We, uh, so I got the picture. Uh, first, we, you know, said it was a great show and, you know, shook her hand and all that. And she was very appreciative. And she, she was talking to us longer. I was a little more normal at this point because we were dancing the whole time. I asked Lily, you know, I'm sorry, but can I get a photo? And she's like, of course. And Ariel went in for the hug. And I always like, go yeah. in for the hug. <laughs> I even do that at church. When you do that awkward kind of hug instead of the peace be with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then you offered her free dental work. Yeah. Well, how did that? Oh, that was funny. No, I did not offer free dental work. I was telling her how James had given me her album before the show, so it was really fun for me because I was able to familiarize myself with her music because I didn't really know who she was or any of her music. And she's like, oh, that's great. And then she was talking uh, about Pokey. She mentioned Pokey. Oh, Pokey's. yeah, she said how great Pokey was. Yeah, yeah and uh, how she familiarized her- herself with his music. 
And I said, yeah, we really like Pokey. I said, yeah, I put on Pokey in the dentist's office the other day. And then I said, I work in a dentist's office. <laughs> and she was like, oh, you know, can I go there? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. I don't know what she needs dentistry. Like, her teeth look great. I wanted to say that, but I didn't because that's weird. Um, you don't go up to people and say, your teeth look great. You got great teeth, Lily Mae. <laughs> Hey, Miss Rishi, you got great teeth, fine teeth. It's funny, I wonder, like, she, is that leg with Pokey wrapped up now? She, I, have they parted ways? I Cause, I don't know. Because they, they were touring together yeah, for a while. They did Midwest shows together. Uh, I I think it's just whenever it's convenient for, for them to get together to do that. Yeah, and then uh, Pokey is off on his merry way, and he's coming coming out my way. I'm excited about that. Yeah, he's got his Riot on the Streets tour. Are you going to go see him? I am. I got the tickets. I'm going to see Lily May again, too. <laughs> the bar I'm going to go see her at doesn't actually sell tickets. You have to get them at oh. the door. So I'm going to have to go early and just make sure I get I think in. you will. Uh, but I'll make sure. I, I'm going to steal the ba- the van's parking spot because I know that works. Get the closest parking And I'm going to make sure I have lots of water bottles strategically placed throughout the venue. Uh, but yeah, the, the the band was great. Frank plays an amazing guitar. The drummer is spectacular. Yeah. The bassist is cool as a cucumber. That guy dressed like a, a blues yeah. brother just sitting up there. Sta- I wanted to talk standing. to him. Yes. We didn't get to talk to him. He stood very still and played the bass. He seemed very amused by me. That's why I wanted to talk to him. (laughs) Well, it sounds like this was a really great show, and uh, I'm so happy you guys had a great time and had the opportunity to meet Lily Mae. And I saw the pictures, and they're on our Facebook page. If anyone would like to go see James and Ariel meet Lily Mae Rishi and her band, it's on our Facebook page. You can check that out. That's facebook.com slash thirdmen. And you guys... This has been uh, really cool. Did you enjoy yourself? I did. Thanks for having me. Oh, we got Kona a Lily Mae bandana, so she'll be celebrating with us. The end. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. (laughs) Don't wait another 40 episodes to come back. No promises. Okay. Well, on that note, uh, back to the show. James, we've splashed down. <laughs> we've landed in the uh, Black Sea. We've landed in that weird grassy part at the end of gravity, and we've st- stood <laughs> up, and we've we've noticed that miraculously we didn't land in a desert on a nice, beautiful island. That is Jack White. It's a really narrow reference for anyone who didn't... <laughs> see that movie but uh james this has been a lovely podcast we learned a lot we laughed a lot we lived a lot we loved a lot and we have some shout outs to give for new listeners uh to the show that's right paul we have plenty of people tweeting and facebooking at us including lj deguro thank you lj we also have martin sherman's i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly thank you martin Astrid Mills, uh, you, you, your name sounds vaguely like Astro. It's very relevant. Uh, thank you to Trace. Astrid is a German name, I think, and I love it. Paul loves it. Thank you to Tracy Brown. Downtown Tracy Brown. Yeah. 
thank you to Yin Catalunya Lantoria. Bang up job, James. We also got Jay Doyle. We've got Jeff Freeman. And Jeannie Bolts. In addition to our new listeners, we also have our, our regulars. We've got people who are interacting with us week in, week out on the show. We've got Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. We've got Andre Ice Cold Lyman. My Andre don't mess around because he listens to our show and it's a for show. We've got Eileen Corsato, whom we see. We see you there. We've got David Poe. And we've got to say Franco. And I feel closer to you now than ever before. Yeah, we still don't know what SA means, but hey, we see you there, Eileen. We also got. Do you want to catch the back half, James? You want to thank these people? We also got Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails. Thank you, Jeremy. We got Kelly Durga, our fact checker extraordinaire, third person on the street at all times. We got Adrian King, the punk rock queen. We got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. And my oh me, we got me oh my. And if you'd like to be one of our faithful listeners, you can uh, find us on lots of different social media sites and things like that, like Facebook, for instance, at facebook.com slash thirdmen. You might be able to tweet at us, for instance, at Third Mencast on Twitter and use the hashtag Third Mencast. Yeah, yeah, you can do you that. You can tumble with us, possibly, uh, at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Yeah. You could uh, maybe go right to our source, the thirdmen.wordpress.com, and that's where we post our show and show notes. Yes. You could perhaps give us listener questions or feedback or just want to talk to us and say hi at yeah. our email, uh, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. We're lonely. <laughs> We're lonely, lonely people. Folk. Uh, you can also go to our Spreaker page, where uh, which is through iHeartRadio. That's uh, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, Spreaker. It's where we post our show, and that's where it uh, it gets spread to the to the far corners of the Milky Way. Yeah, the Milky Way. You could search us on YouTube, where James has a couple of cool visualizers there and some funny little skits. And you could rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. That really helps increase the visibility of the podcast. And who knows, you might just win something. Maybe. Hey. <laughs> and, then, and then there's uh, other podcatchers. You can catch us on Acast, etc. And uh, as James mentioned, submit some listener questions. That'd be that'd be nice. And then uh, we, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Ben. And we would like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All you guys. Yeah. And- yeah. 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 And as always, Paul, I'll be looking for a home on Mars. I will be looking for a home in the vast expanse of space. See you next week. Bye. Some alien language. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
What's it like to be a taste maker? <laughs> Paul asked at the Frito Lay Corporation. Mm. Flavor blasting stuff. Flavor blast me, Paul said to them. James. Oh, you know you. <laughs> you did the thing I was gonna do. Before I get into the the actual meat of the episode, I am going to uh, insert this little bit of meat. <laughs> right. <laughs> I intend to calculate thruster ignition and acceleration rate to coincide with the opening of the beater orifice. I already screwed up like two seconds in. I like that when we talked so, to the famous guy, we still did the slow version instead of the fast <laughs> version. I, I'm sorry, I thought you had like a stroke for a minute there. I was like, what the hell is James talking about? So, uh, the probes, uh... The last eight minutes of this podcast, James, have been pointless. Yeah. <laughs> Jessamine, yeah, Jessamine, yep. mucho. I assumed you meant that he placed uh, the human body in, and all its organs and bones on the moon for the first time. <laughs> Back. And to the left. There is either somebody playing a loud snare drum outside my window. I don't know what's happening out there. Somebody's beating a large aluminum can. I don't know what's happening. Go ahead. Is it ri- Rishi? I don't know how to say it. It's Rishi. Like fishy. Rhymes with fishy. Yeah. I don't know. I just know I had to ask you a lot during the Christmas one, <laughs> and I still don't know. <laughs> Shudder to think how many more people's names we're mispronouncing, right, James? Uh, that's right, Pale. Putting aside for a moment the fact that you are married, um... Pope? Po-po-po-po-po-po-po-po. <laughs> We'd also like to thank... No one. We're done. No, James, you bastard. Guys, real quick, there's, a, there's an awesome Skype lag happening right now that's making your video slow motion, so I got to see James's reaction to being as called a small child in very slow motion, and it was just like, I'm watching your reaction to this right now. You're in trouble. Uh-oh. James is in trouble. Something's going on, and it burst his bubble. Yeah, yeah. You guys are both exchanging ear gunk right now. Realtor's website for your apartment is not on fire. Yeah, current currently not ablaze. Alright. Parentheses blaze it 420. Hashtag. Excuse me when you burn. Excuse me. Oh, off to a off to the races. <laughs> Doing great so far. <laughs> Me, 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 me. Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Oh, please. <laughs> Don't continue. Um, there is a link to it. Oh. That would be malware. Okay. <laughs> James actually asked me to send him any photos I had, and I only had one, the one I took of him and Lily later on. Yeah, which brings us into what happened later on. Yeah, there's just a long, there's just a long string of text messages from James saying, saying, send me foot stuff, (laughs) and Ariel's like, what? Okay. 
wrapped, the cord is wrapped around my foot. Why? This is some weird foot stuff. <laughs> Get it off your foot. <laughs>